Hello, everyone. My name is Kelsey, and I am the host of the Curious Clit Podcast. This is a podcast that seeks to spark compassionate conversations around sex and our bodies so that we can all feel a little less alone in the world, feel safer in our bodies, and ultimately have better sex. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider being a paid subscriber to my Substack, where this podcast is hosted, or you're welcome to like, comment, or share my posts, follow my Instagram, or check out the trauma-informed embodiment classes I offer for people who identify as women, trans, and non-binary. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and I'm excited to share this next episode with you. Today, I'm here with Erin Ello, who is the Youth and Gender Programs Manager for West County Health Centers, which is a federally qualified health center in Sonoma County, California. Erin was also my boss when I served with AmeriCorps and then worked at the teen clinic at West County Health Center. Erin prefers not to use pronouns. Using Erin is just preferred, and she, her, they, them is okay. Erin has worked with youth since they were a young person themselves, an early passion bestowed upon them by the youth workers who made a difference in their young life. Erin is most excited about serving historically underserved and marginalized communities and working within service areas that are seen as taboo or controversial. Though Erin doesn't specialize specifically in any field, Erin has trained in many fields to address the needs of their community. Erin is a phlebotomist, abortion doula, sex educator, and youth worker. Erin's heart is in the work, and they hope all their clients feel seen and are met just where they are. In Erin's personal life, plants, family, nature, and crafting bring great joy. Erin is a chronic illness warrior, and this helps to remind them to slow down sometimes. Core values of Erin's life are harm reduction and consent. And if Erin can leave folks with the message, they would want folks to remember that we are all human, we are all worthy, and inherently, there's nothing wrong with any of us. Erin is a truly amazing person and has made an enormous difference in my life, just as they do with so many young people in Sonoma County. I am so, 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 so excited to have Erin on the podcast, and I hope that this conversation helps all of you listeners to feel a little less alone in the world. So I'd like to begin just by, Erin, could you share a little bit just about you, just to get us started? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk to you today. Um, so. Like Kelsey said, I'm Erin. I mostly I was trying to think about like, who am I? What do I do? And over the last like 12 to 15 years, I've been in youth serving professions. And so a lot of my work has been focused around serving youth. And with not the best work-life balance, I think that my job is a huge part of who I am. And I feel really grateful and honored to do the work that I do with the communities that I do it in. And so I 
I'm now the Youth Services Manager of the West County um, Health Centers, and so I get to, the privilege to serve youth in a tidy rural community in Western Sonoma County and serve <clears throat> really families, but primarily young people, 12 to 25, and in kind of all realms of life. So we talk about sexuality and gender. We're now doing like this holding people differently where we're like, where do you go to the doctor? How do you eat? Like, do you have shoes? Like being able to hold people really differently and all getting to care for young people who are, you know, experimenting and exploring themselves in so many different ways, whether that's related to like sex and whether it's drugs, but like, I feel like my life's work is around harm reduction and allowing and helping young people foster skills to live their best lives. And so that's kind of shifted. Um, I definitely didn't grow up with that mentality around me. And so it's kind of molded me into this like adult that I am of getting to create these like special worlds for young people. So I think that I'm so many other things like a partner and a dog mom and a caregiver. Um, but so much of who I am is in my work. Um, and it, I feel lucky that it has helped to kind of mold me as a, a human that I get to be today. That's really, that's really amazing. And, you know, I've always been struck by, I mean, just how much you put into your work. And I know that sometimes we definitely struggled with work-life balance when we were working together. Um, but I think also it really has spoken to me about your care and your passion for helping young people. I think that when people meet you and talk to you, that's something that really comes through is that like you're dedicated to creating a world where young people have more access to resources, to care, and to feel safer. Um, and that's a very difficult and challenging job. And I know that your role has really changed and grown and expanded in part because of your passion and dedication to the young people and to making sure that they have all the care that they need, not just around the resources that were originally being provided at the teen clinic. Um, and I'd love later to talk a little bit more about some of that work that you do at the teen clinic, but I'm wondering if maybe we could begin by um, just chatting a little bit about like what messages you received around gender and sexuality when you were growing up? Yeah, I was reflecting on my life in preparation for this and realizing that so much of what drives me to do what I do is really based upon what the messages that I didn't get as a youth. Um, so I grew up in a house with a single mom who was a teen parent, and she did such a great job of being present for us, but she didn't have the tools to really give us the right messages or the messages that I think that I should have had. Um, and so I didn't get a lot of education around sex. I didn't really have any representations of like gender um, outside of the binary as a youth. I think that my mom, 
she worked a lot. Um, and then we were, you know, in a family structure and a family model. And so I spent a lot of time with like my mom, my brother and my sister. Um, and then eventually my stepdad entered the mix and we were just often together as a family. And so in reflection of like my life, it wasn't until I was in my late teens that I kind of even had a perception or an understanding of that sexual orientation was more than just like cishet. Um, I don't think that I didn't grow up with like a ton of technology or like movies, like we were pretty poor. Um, and you know, we watched Disney movies and like family, like <laughs> what is it called? Like funniest home videos, but like didn't have a ton of like exposure. And so I didn't even know that gay people were a thing until late into my teens. Um, I just kind of had this like idea that you know, men and women marry. Um, and then my mom kind of fit into that box. And so I really didn't have, I had a lot of internalized, like, I just have to like, like boys, even though I never felt that way in my body. Like I had a lot of crushes on boys, but it was never a sexual thing. It was more this idea of like the romanticized, like I'm going to meet a Prince Charming and I'm going to get married and I'm going to have kids. And have this great nuclear family that was like modeled to me um probably most modeled to me in that it was what my mom always wanted um and so that's kind of just what I thought the world was supposed to be and it wasn't until like I think I was probably 17 um and a lesbian moved to my tiny school we had like no gay people that I even was like wait this can be a thing. Um, and so I don't think it was like a lack of my mom. I think it was probably a lack of knowledge on my mom's behalf, actually, because she was, you know, also like from a small town, a single mom, spent a ton of time with her kids. But she also, I don't think, had a ton of understanding of like the d diversity in the world. And so I think a lot of the messaging that I got was like just a lack of messaging. And so I think that really has helped to build my kind of passion for wanting everyone to get these messages that I didn't have um, because it took me like a really long time to realize that like my sexuality was always a little bit different um, and it didn't always fit this like cishet world but I didn't even know to question it um, and so I didn't come out until my early 20s um, and I think that that would have been really different if I had been like socialized in a world where I saw diversity of gender and diversity in sexual orientation. But yeah, I feel like I grew up kind of sheltered in like a more single parent kind of poor home. And so I, because of lack of messaging, I feel like it helped to frame the world for me in a way that I didn't even know that diversity was really a thing. Yeah. Because you were kind of seeing like a certain vision of like how relationships were supposed to look and how like a sexual orientation was supposed to look. And so you didn't have a vision of anything else. And it's not like we had a lot of, um, I don't know, like queer movies and TV shows and even like queer people that were visible as, you know, artists or musicians during that time too. Yeah. And I remember at some point, in my early teens, my parents had friends that were gay. And um, 
I didn't have any perception at that time as a young teen that they were together. I was like, these two are just really good friends that live (laughs) together. I had like no thought at all that those like two women, um, they even like fit a butch femme dynamic. I had no sense. I was like 13 and they would like come over for dinner. And like, I wouldn't at that time in my life, like my parents didn't talk about it. Like they were just these people that came for dinner. No sense that they were gay. And then like when I came out, like much later, I was like, wait, did I have any queer like socialization as a child? And then I thought back to that, that gay couple that my parents were friends with. And I was like, oh, they could have just framed (laughs) that for me. And I would have been like, oh, being gay is a thing. But like my parents just never mentioned it. And maybe because it was to them like a normal thing. But to me as like a youth that had never even heard the word gay I just had no sense that those two people could have been in a romantic relationship yeah I think that's so hard for young people when they haven't had that I don't know those things model they're expressed to them of like they just see people they're like oh they're friends you know (laughs) yeah it was such a strange when I think about like my experience of sex and gender I think that I feel sometimes a little delayed or that like I'm coming into myself as a much older person. And I work with young people who are now like so gender diverse and so like even like polyamorous and like expansive in so many different ways. I'm like, wow, how different would my life have been if like I started experiencing myself and like Mm -hmm. this journey as a younger person. And even just in the last like three years, I'm actually doing my own like gender journey and like realizing but all of that really I feel like my work created a framework for me to like experience myself and find myself but it wasn't in like my ideas of the world it was more in like this is your work and then I do all these things and create these boxes for other people to find themselves and I was like oh I can slow down and find myself (laughs) and so I was like I didn't even start my gender journey until I was in my 30s and so I I'm so it it feels so important to me to create a box where young people can experiment and find themselves and have you know visions that were more than just a cishet world and so I think that that my lack of in my youthfulness um there's like both sadness there but also an opportunity for me to create that for youth around me yeah it's kind of like through this work you can I don't know like almost rewrite the story in a way of like creating a different world for other people and then also it seems like for yourself too of like giving yourself the opportunity to go through that journey as well now even in your 30s yeah I kind of feel like I got to grow up um in my work here um I started my job at this current role I was 22 when I was hired here and so I've both like grown up and become myself but also like all of the opportunities that I was creating for other people I was like vicariously getting to create myself at the same time so I feel so lucky that I got to do that and like I feel so honored all the time that like I can watch people go through these journeys and I feel like kind of I'm watching myself do that too and it's kind of kind of beautiful and also so complex because it's like I'm my most true self at my job (laughs) and like a lot of people like work-life balance is like needs to be separate and to me it's like almost together purposefully and I 
feel both like lucky and like, you know, work-life balance could be better. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's tough though, when it's kind of like work as a place that is such a part of your identity and also is giving you a place where like your identity can be expressed though as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious, like what kind of helped you shift into being able to like recognize that you were a queer queer person and um, like what kind of kickstarted that journey in your, I think you said early 20s was when you started to more like realize that about yourself? Yeah, my journey was interesting. I knew that I was gay before I went to college. Um, that girl that moved to my high school, um, I was like in love with her. Um, and we had this like kind of unhealthy long distance relationship for like my first two years of college. Um, and because I had that kind of underlying, I really didn't do any self-exploration for my first two years of college. I was just like dealing with my internalized like homophobia and still didn't want folks to know. Um, and then I went into this like kind of depressive phase where I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know that I can do all of these things. Um, and I actually ended up dropping out of college um, and spent two almost two years serving AmeriCorps in Community Health Corps. And I think that it allowed me to kind of slow down for the first time. I had always been on this like education track where I just was like mm-hmm. so made it motivated and like moving towards this like life and career. <laughs> um, and when I finally slowed down, I was able to one disconnect from that unhealthy relationship. And then two had a lot of people in my life who were like, you know, that if you are just yourself, we'll love you. And I kind of was afraid of that before that point. And so then I went back to college and I went like the, got off the plane, got, went to college, shaved all my hair off and was like, I'm gay now. Um, And went to all the gay stuff and like became like the vice president of the gay club on campus. Um, But I really like was this transition of like taking about a year and a half to like realize that I was just the same person and that I didn't have to like feel all this negativity around my internalized homophobia um and when I finally just like let myself be me I actually was like way more happy almost no depression at all like just like blossoming in this like queer (laughs) world um and I feel like it really allowed me to be my true self um and I really kind of feel like my second life started when I came out um and I'm so grateful like my life is so different now and I'm like I feel like when I realized that people were gonna love me anyways I just embraced the like I can just be me this is it um And I got to kind of peel off a lot of that, like masking and faking and all the things that went along with myself as like a youth. Um, And then I kind of started this new adventure and different road. Gosh, that's amazing. And that must have been such a incredible feeling to kind of like finally be able to step into yourself and like be able to express yourself authentically to was it everyone in your life at that point? Like you felt like you could be yourself or did it take some time to get to that place? 
I kind of peeled it all off at the same time. I made a post on my Facebook and was like, <laughs> I'm gay. So that everyone knew at the same time, there was one person in my life that I felt like I needed to like formally come out to. And that was my grandma. And I wrote her a letter and like, she was that one person who was like, this could be life changing if she doesn't accept me. Yeah. Um, and she was like, I love you anyways. Like, I love you regardless. Oh. Um, and then I was like, well, if she can love me, everyone can. And so oh just posted it on Facebook after that. Um, and then I feel like I kind of became myself and had for a long time been just dealing with this depression and um, really these big holes in like who I was. And so I was able to really become myself when I came out. Oh my God. And that's also when my journey with sex ed really started um I had so much like shame around sex and I don't even really know where it came from I don't think that my mom painted any negative messages for me around sex but I had felt a lot of shame around like my body and masturbation and like pleasure pre coming out and so then when I came out it it was like that same in that same vein of like if I had been given these messages, I could have been different. And so I started teaching queer sex ed. And really at that time it was around like, it's okay to have queer sex and use a lot of lube and experience and adventure your body <laughs> with your, the people that you want. And so I started doing that when I was in college. Um, and that kind of really started my kind of journey in the sex ed world was just when I realized like, oh, people deserve this information the same way that I deserved it is kind of what fueled me to want to teach it. Yeah. It's still so interesting. Sorry, this is a little bit of a backtrack, but um, for me, like I'm, it's almost kind of amazing to hear about your journey because when I met you, you were, you know, very much an advocate for queer people and you were very open about being out as being gay and just like this really, I don't know, I feel like kind of a beacon in our community of like, you can be out, you can be proud of yourself and very comfortable with that. And that was so beautiful to see, you know, the way that it really, I think, made a lot of our peer educators feel comfortable to be themselves as well. So it's, I don't know, it's like, I think kind of inspiring to me to hear about that journey for you of like going from someone who like didn't even, wasn't really able to recognize like the fact that you were gay and then going on that journey to like being out and being this advocate for queer people in so many ways. Yeah, it's kind of a stark like night and day. Um, yeah. for me. Like, I don't know <laughs> when that flip was switched, but uh, I was like so uncomfortable and so unsure. And then I was just like, and here I am. And now I'm doing all these things. And I really don't feel like I can really conceptualize when I became so comfortable. Um, but it just like, it's almost like once I decided that this is it, and everyone could just like it or not. I was just like, and now I can just support everyone in this journey. I don't know where that <laughs> confidence came from, but I was just like overnight was like, and I'm gay now. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's incredible. And like, no, I mean, how beautiful to be able then to like start helping other people too. And it seems like that has been really like 
as your career has gone on, that's really been something that has been a motivator for you of helping people to not have to experience what you did of being able to recognize and see themselves at an earlier age and also to feel safe in being themselves. Yeah, it's definitely, I feel like it's my primary motivation is like one, wanting people to have like autonomy over themselves, but also like having the tools and the education that they need to like really blossom and be their true selves. And like, if I had to really boil it down, I think that the whole point of like me in a serving role is to just like allow people the tools to then like blossom into their everything that they want to be. Um, And I think that though I had a lot of support and tools, I always felt kind of stifled by like my upbringing or lack of resources. And so wanting to like shift the world in a way that like, even, you know, if you come from a super marginalized background, if you come from like a poor family that like education and tools really can be this beautiful bridge to allow folks to have the life that we all deserve yeah and um on that note can you talk to us a little bit about like what are some of the things that you've done when being in this role like over the past I don't know have you been in it like 10 years yeah (laughs) yeah so I think that a lot of this work started as just sex ed. We did so much like sexuality education and then sexuality healthcare as well. And so a ton of my work has just been kind of holding people through their journey of often, you know, an acute thing like, oh no, I think I'm pregnant um, or I don't know how to use this condom. And so just holding space for people and allowing them a a container to feel comfortable enough to get their questions answered. Um, And then through the years, sex ed has taught me that the same way that we think about a condom um, as like a public health tool, that actually as humans, like so many things are public health tools and so many things are harm reduction. And so when I was able to wrap my head around is like oh harm reduction is sex ed like teaching someone sexual health is not that different than like teaching them to brush their teeth is not actually that different than like teaching them about like accidental overdose and providing them narcan and so I feel like my lens is like allowing people the tools to choose for themselves a less harmful path. Um, And so whether that's related to sex ed, um, relationships, friendships, or now like we have expanded our program to include um, substance use support um, for young people and also just overall support. So it's become this like beautiful thing where I can just ask someone like, what is important to you? what is your world? And like, what tools can I help you to get that can make things a little bit easier? Um, And whether that's like advocacy around like, oh, this school is calling me the wrong name or 
you know, they're dealing with their first polyamorous experience and then like, <laughs> oh, jealousy, what is this thing? Um, and so my work has really expanded to include this like whole person, whole family care of like, yeah. oh, if I can help support the mom and dad who fight every night and that affects the kids, then I can actually like differently support the kids because I can say, oh, hey, family, maybe you should think about therapy maybe you should think about like spending more time with your kids and less time with your spouse or you know varying degrees I've had some beautiful experiences working with young people around medication assisted treatment um, and addiction and so many like my work is so diverse now it's like both like oh you're having a panic attack or you're experiencing suicidality oh you might have an STD and it all just like I had to realize that if we just focus on sex education, that we're forgetting a lot about the human. And so when yeah. I finally realized that I was able to, with the support of my administration, which has been integral to everything, um, shift the program to support humans and not yeah. even always <laughs> young people um, to just eliminate some harm create some joy um and pleasure being like a primary premise of my kind of core value um it's so important to my work can you talk a little bit more about like what do you mean by pleasure in this context yeah so I'm super passionate about pleasure in general um <laughs> I realized that in our culture, there's just not enough pleasure. And we often equate pleasure to just like orgasms. And when we kind of boil it down, like pleasure and joy are so tied together. And so if we can create joyful experiences and pleasure, we can like actually eliminate like so many of the hardships that we deal with. Um, and so like, I'm super passionate about sex ed. I'm super passionate about like actual pleasure, like mm -hmm. actually helping people create like joy around orgasm and their bodies and like bodily autonomy I have um a clitoris tattooed on my leg I'm oh super passionate about like joy <laughs> and pleasure in general related to sex but also realize that pleasure and joy are like primary to like the human experience and that it really crosses all lifespans right so it could be like a hug where you're experiencing like the warmth of another yeah. human or like eliminating this negative experience. So there's even space for someone to find like joy and pleasure. And so my work has shifted when I realized that like one, I didn't experience enough pleasure and I didn't allow myself to experience pleasure. But then I was like, Oh, so if I'm having those experiences, maybe other people are too. And so both yeah. like super passionate about like, I would love to talk to every person about pleasure and orgasm, <laughs> but also like sometimes it's like listening to the birds outside or like noticing small things in your day that just shift you from like this, like, patriarchal consumerist like grind to like oh that thing is very beautiful and that the like noticing pleasure and joy throughout our days really can create real shifts for people and I recently was talking to my therapist and I was like I don't know that I experienced joy and then I had to like slow down and reframe of like yeah stress can kind of like just cover joy and pleasure and so yeah. um those like small 
inclinations of like, today was a bad day. And then I'm like, oh, actually, today was not a bad day. There was some negative things throughout the day or bad pieces. But there was actually like a lot of joy where we like laughed together and like Mm -hmm. that, you know, your partner touching your hand or that hug from a coworker. And so for me, like, I've had to expand my practice of pleasure to be inclusive of more than just orgasms um, which was a huge part of my focus in as a sex educator gosh that's so incredible and I think you're so right that like I mean pleasure can be so many different things and I think you know because sex is so taboo when we talk about pleasure we almost kind of like put pleasure in this little category of like oh it's orgasms and it's like that physical pleasure that comes with sex but you're right like there are so many different ways that we can experience pleasure and what are the ways that we can bring more of that into our lives by like those simple moments with the birds or like how can we reduce stress to like create that room for the the joy and the pleasure to actually like be present in our experience yeah definitely and it's also so tied to like I'm so like, I'm so thoughtful about like my, you know, trauma and things in my life. And that like, when I slowed down and realized that like, it is a part of our entire life, that it's actually easier for me to then even consume pleasure in the sex world. Because I realized that like, oh, all of these things affect my ability to experience pleasure. And so like, when I shifted my brain, I was like, oh, pleasure can be different and like (laughs) it doesn't always have to mean this like wild orgasm and that like I had expectations tied to like orgasm for myself and I was like maybe I don't even know how to orgasm and then I was like oh (laughs) it's really just like my head I'm really affecting it and so yeah as I've experienced myself and like this journey I've been able to experience even sexual pleasure differently because I was like slow down and realize that it's just a part of like my life yeah and when you talk about experiencing it differently and like slowing down to bring it in were there certain things that you did that kind of helped you do that yeah I think that I had an expectation of myself around what orgasm and what pleasure was supposed to be like and I think that I also had this idea probably, you know, related to sexual trauma that like pleasure and orgasm is supposed to be like your partner touches your body for this amount of time in these ways and that equals pleasure. And so Mm. I did a ton of work around like Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are Mm. and like those thinking about like ways that I experience my body and then trying to unpack some of the shame um, from my youth. And when I realized that like, I could one, explain to my partner that I have all this baggage and I have all this stuff that affects my ability to experience orgasm. Um, It wasn't until I was comfortable enough to say to my partner, like, one, I don't want you to touch me this way. Two, it's okay if I don't orgasm. Three, I'm experiencing all these things and that's okay. (laughs) Um, That I was finally able to like, slow down and just enjoy my partner in a way that then I was able to like orgasm um and I would say like probably didn't even feel like I had like a partnered orgasm until like the last four years um where I I don't feel like I didn't experience pleasure but I was definitely like 
holding myself back from what could be actual orgasm or often like feeling like shame or negativity and so like always stopping prematurely um because I was like this feels good but it's weird and I'm uncomfortable and also like not enjoying the bodies and the people as much as I needed to because I couldn't communicate so when I started to communicate with my partner in a true and real way I was able to like find my orgasm and find my pleasure in a really different way too yeah it seems like you kind of took the pressure off yourself of like saying okay I don't have to come and then being able to like share you know what you were fully experiencing with your partner like really speaking your truth to them and just kind of like being open about that definitely and I also yeah in the last four years have been in a polyamorous relationship um and I'm only currently dating one person but I think that the envelope of polyamory and our ability to communicate and all the different ways that communication is now a part of my life allowed me to communicate about sex so differently than I ever had before um, that I was able to like just kind of let things go and like just be present with my partner and so yeah it's been a different world and it's taken it's been a, a journey you know communication and figuring things out together and um, I feel grateful that polyamory allowed me to open my world around communication and also letting go of some of the like cishet kind of things that come along with being in relationships. Um, and so when I boiled it down and realized that like I don't have to be with people because of expectations or this like relationship elevator towards like something that I didn't actually want, um, I could just be present with people and communicate and that communication was actually for me one of the keys to unlocking my pleasure yeah it kind of seems like this was another step of really I don't know like seeing a different way that you could be in the world too of like not having to fit into like this paradigm of relationships and what they look like and acknowledging that like you can want and desire different things out of relationships than the things that are like given to us or told to us that we should want yeah it was like one more layer of peeling off like cishet (laughs) socialization that I was like oh like people don't like have sex in this way and have orgasms in this way and like then don't communicate about the fact that they didn't orgasm and so many (laughs) like I was like oh I could peel these things off and then I can just like again be myself and then have like joy in a different way yeah yeah because I feel like I don't know we have this pressure sometimes of like we have to perform for our partner and sometimes it's like I have to be this certain way so that they don't leave or they like me or they don't get mad or you know whatever the the reasoning behind it is but I don't know when you kind of step back and you're true to yourself about what you want and need and you kind of come to that place of like I want this and if it's not something this person is able to like give or to meet me at then maybe it's not the right relationship Mm -hmm. or that also like that they don't have to always meet that need too and that that's okay yeah um and I felt like when I realized that and accepted that for myself that it shifted so many of the like negative lenses that I carried 
on myself. And so I was able to really peel that stuff back. And I'm definitely still in my journey and I'm definitely (laughs) still unlearning. And, you know, it's so hard to unlearn all of the cishet relationship dynamics that we're socialized under. And even when I think I'm like, I'm so doing things different. And then I like catch myself in a like, oh shit, that negative feeling that I'm having towards my partner is actually related to like negative socialization that I was given as a child. And then I'm like, oh, I can, I can (laughs) actually think about that differently. Um, But as I'm becoming myself again, it's like a a whole nother adventure. And like, I can just slow down. I can just enjoy pleasure. And like, boundaries and communication really create boxes where I can like thrive um, and be my true self. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's like beautiful that once you kind of almost like a deprogramming in a way of like all that awful shit that we're like conditioned around, it opens that space to really, like you said, to experience that pleasure and to like be your whole self. Yeah, totally. I love the idea of deprogramming. And then I also love the idea of like programming young people or getting to like share with young people that like the world doesn't have to be the way that we were taught. And like not everyone like is ever going to get that like Disney world because that's not real. And like, (laughs) um, it's yeah, I think it's so beautiful to like one for me, like it's a lot of work, but I'm so happy that I have the opportunity to like unlearn and deprogram and all those things. But also then like use that to fuel my work with young people to create like different, different scripts that they don't have to live under the ones that we were given yeah I think it's interesting what you were just talking about and like knowing you and your work and thinking about like the way that you are influenced or like you are influencing them by creating this space and opening up a different way that they maybe can think but also that they're influencing you in a way um and like your own journey so I'm I'm curious whether you could maybe talk about like some of the like lessons or things that like young people have taught you in your work. Yeah, I feel like that is why I do this. Um I feel like I feel I feel so lucky that I every day get to learn from young people. I feel like the generations below us I kind of feel old in this and maybe I am getting old, but um, I always like, you know, you're like the generations before you are like so wise. But then actually, as I like look back down to the generations following me, like they're so thoughtful and wonderful and advanced and also like willing to like be so vulnerable and like advocate for themselves and like their peers and gosh, they make me so excited about the future, but they challenge me all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like they challenge me to be both better. And they also challenge me to like unlearn um, specifically around like systems of harm. So like racism and all of the isms that are so bad, like they just don't allow it and they don't accept it and there's not space for it. And so they've taught me so much about like questioning my views of the world. And even when I think like, 
I'm doing great. And I'm like unlearning some of the like gross, like boxes of whiteness. Um, I'll like, you know, make that comment and a young person is never going to let it go. You know, they're going to be like, Hey, this is what I heard you say. Like, I don't think that's what you meant. Like you should maybe think about that differently. Um, and I so appreciate the like challenge that they bring. Um, and also like the container of like, you don't get to do it from this like gross place. Like they're like, let's do it better. And also we don't accept it you and we don't accept this if it's not going to come in a box that like feels good to them Mm -hmm. um and I so appreciate that um but also they they taught me that the world is hard and like watching them struggle both is heartbreaking but is also so like they teach me all the time that like when we work through hard systems and when we like actually look at our trauma that like we can be better people um I've recently reflected on the fact that like Gen Z and below have like such good boundaries and like (laughs) such good like work-life balance and I was like oh was I just like socialized that like this is grind culture and they're like wait no I'm taking my lunch and I'm like oh I so appreciate that like you have boundaries um and so they're just like teaching me all the time I like so appreciate them um but yeah I feel happily challenged um every single day yeah I think it makes me think of like TikTok and you know that whole culture around like I think Gen Z is really I don't know, like setting the stage for us and like asking us all to be better and to not participate in these systems in the way that we have done before. And, you know, it can be tough sometimes because you really have to take like that deep look at yourself and be like, ooh, this needs to change. And that doesn't always feel good, but I really also appreciate and admire like the young people for really like pushing us forward and um I don't know like helping us create a different world where people are treated better than they have been in the past totally and that like invitation to do that beside them feels so nice um and the fact that they're not like you know expecting that like us older folks or like generations before them are just going to continue to like do what we always did they're like and this is how you can do it better and let's do it together and I'm like oh thank you thank you for creating containers for me and I'm creating boxes for you <laughs> it's like we're just it's this like give and take like really nice thing that I feel like I get to do beside them yeah it's like a really equal space of like you're both helping each other like grow and I don't know how to have better lives definitely Um, since you do work with a lot of young people, I'm wondering if you have any just like advice for parents who are raising kids and advice, just like whole person advice, but also stuff around talking about sex, anything within that realm. Yeah, I think that if parents could just give young people space to be themselves and listen more. I think that there is so much happening in the world. um, And there is so many, specifically parents, they're so overworked. They're 
there's so many things that are being asked of them, but I think that if they just carved out time to just be present and listen to their youth, um, that it could be really transformational for them. Um, but also to create space for their youth to teach them, um, and allow the youth to help guide the relationship that they get to have with their parents. I think so often, unfortunately, consent is left out of parenting. So if I could just give parents advice, it's like, allow consent to guide your relationship with your young people, especially when they become teenagers, because the whole, you know, parenting back in the day was like, you have to do the thing because I said so. And like, if we could just shift that culture, one, we would raise better young people, but also young people could respect and appreciate the role that their parents have in their lives, instead of feeling this like, doom and gloom around like my mom said I had to do this or I'm grounded or they took my phone away but being able to like be in a consent place and I don't think that means like you can't parent your child and you can't you know have rules that your child is meant to follow but I think that if we all just built a little bit more consent and autonomy and into our relationships with youth um, it would allow young people to actually be heard and I think that just in humaning that if we're all a little more heard that we can only create a better world yeah that's so true I think I know at the core like we all want to be heard and seen and understood and that's -hmm. something that is possible in like parent-child relationships and it doesn't have to be that unequal parent style that I think has been around for unfortunately a really long time yeah and also Narcan in all of our houses and condoms and bathrooms. But <laughs> if the world could just have a lot of condoms and a lot of Narcan, I think that we'd be doing a good job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I know we've been talking for a while and I want to respect your time because you know you have a lot going on with what you're doing. Um, so I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about any projects that you have coming up personally or with the clinic ways that people could like support the programs that you guys have anything yeah um so I don't have a ton going on personally uh in terms of like events or anything like that but at work um we're just we're building a program we're in a even though I've been doing this for 10 years, I feel like we're in our infancy. We are combining and creating school-based health locations where students and families can really access healthcare um, and resources in their schools, which is really cool. Um, but something that I've been really passionate about and working um, is creating gender expansive um, and gender equity in all of our healthcare systems. And so one program that is really exciting um, is I run a trans accessory program. So um, based on donations, we're able to buy um, folks who can't afford um, things like a pocket bra and prosthetics Mm -hmm. and um, things like a packer or a binder um, and things like that. So that is something that is always expanding and it's been really life-changing for a lot of our gender expansive youth um, and adults to be like I can't afford a bra um, and then helping them like find the right bra and being able to order that for for them Um, so that's something that I'm 
newly excited about um, that's fairly new for us um, is a gender um, accessory program. Um, and that is all based on donations. Is that something that we could include in the show notes so that, or like the, is there like people donate like money or is it something like physically they would donate some of the supplies? Yeah, so folks can just donate money. Um, we've had even like $100 um, supports three people um, in accessories. And so if folks wanted to donate, they could just go to westcountyhealthcenters.org um, and just make a donation on our website. And then all they have to do is just shoot me an email, which is E-E-L-O at wchealth.org and say, I made a donation for the trans accessory program. Um, and very small donations make a big difference. Awesome. I will definitely include that in the show notes um, and the information because it's the the donation is for like West County Health in general, but then if they email you, then it will go to you. Exactly. In the clinic. Yeah. Okay, awesome. All right. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and before we go is there anything else coming up anything else you want to share on the topic of gender and sexuality before we end the conversation um I don't think so I think um just like kindness and harm reduction for everyone <laughs> um and yeah if you, folks can always reach out to me at my email if they have questions um about pleasure and Narcan and all the things public health. I'm happy to chat with people. Um, just like to make the world a little bit better. Um, and little pieces of education can always help with that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Erin, for this conversation. And you really are a badass. And right. you thank do you. so much amazing work in the community. And I know that folks are really lucky to have you there. And um also like the work itself is so groundbreaking and amazing so thank you thanks thank for you. having me